What's up, this your boy Lil Duval, and check out my podcast, Conversations with Unc, on the Black Effect Podcast Network. Each and every Tuesday, Conversations with Unc podcast feature casuals and in-depth talk about ebbs and flows of life and the pursuit of happiness. Unlike my work on stage, I tap into a more serious and sensitive side to give life advice and simply offer words of encouragement, yet remind folks to never forget to laugh. Every Tuesday, listen to Conversations with Unc, hosted by Lil Duval on the Black Effect Podcast Network, iHeartRadio app, or wherever you get your podcasts. Presented by AT&T. Connecting changes everything. You know that feeling when you walk into your home, take a deep breath, and feel new? Well, that's what it's like to use Clorox Sentiva. Because Clorox Sentiva smells like coconut, cleans like Clorox, and feels like energy. It'll elevate any cleaning routine to not just clean, but also make every room smell like a tropical coconut getaway. Discover how Clorox Sentiva's powerful clean and refreshing scents can transform your space. Get yours in coconut or other fabulous scents at a nearby retail store. Looking to step up your Mother's Day flowers? The Home Depot has an idea. Let mom's green thumb do some digging with colorful flowers, pots, and premium soils to bring out the most in her patios, walkways, and gardens. Right now, get Vigoro Potting Soil, just $8.97 for strong, healthy, vibrant plants, indoors and outside. Shop our wide selection online and pick up your order in-store and give mom the gift of a beautiful garden. Get Vigoro Potting Soil, just $8.97 at The Home Depot. How doers get more done. Welcome to The Brink, a production of iHeartRadio's How Stuff Works. Walt Disney was up against the wall. In 1934, he led the charge to do what no one had done before him. He wanted to make a feature-length animated film. The entertainment world at large thought he was insane, and movie studio heads openly referred to the project as Disney's folly. Two years later, his animation studio was on the verge of bankruptcy after delays and unexpected expenses pushed the film's budget much higher than anticipated. Without a miracle, Disney stood to lose not only his business, but his home as well. And so, with trepidation and reluctance, he accompanied a banker into a dark theater to watch an incomplete cut of Snow White and the Seven Dwarfs. He and his company were on the brink. Hi, I'm Jonathan Strickland. And I'm Ariel Kasten, and welcome to part two of our wonderful Disney series. Yeah, so if you missed part one, you should go and listen to that. That was all about how Walt Disney founded his company, uh, not without a lot of challenges in his way. And then after seemingly conquering the world of short-form animation, decided to set his sights on what people thought at the time was an insurmountable goal. Yeah, full-length animated feature films. Yeah, so he, again, had pitched it to his animators. It took some doing to get them on board. They also expressed some concerns with the Mm -hmm. amount of work it would take. At the time he pitched it, he just stood on an empty soundstage and told them his idea. Yeah, and not everyone was convinced right away That was a good move because Mm -hmm. essentially what Disney was kind of doing was he was saying, here's how much work it takes us to do a seven or eight minute long short. 
So just multiply that by 10, and that's yeah. how long it'll take to do, how much it'll take to do a feature-length film. We just want to, we got to aim for around 70 minutes. It'll be fine. Yeah, he thought the budget was going to be around $250,000, which is 10 times the amount of one short. Yeah, they were making, the shorts they were making were on average between $25,000 and $38,000 a piece. Which doesn't seem like a lot, but if you look at it today, that's $4.76 billion. That's a lot of money to spend on a movie. Yeah, on an animated movie. You're not even paying for Samuel L. Jackson. Yeah, no, I mean, like, the Marvel films don't cost that much to make. It's a ridiculous amount. But uh, he also thought that, all right, well, let's see how long it takes us to make a short, and we'll multiply that by 10 as well. And so he estimated it would take about a year and a half to complete the film. As it turns out, both of those estimates were wild underestimates. It's just Crazy how far he, he was from the mark. It actually took him over $1.4 million at the time to make this movie. Yeah. And uh, it wouldn't release until almost 1938. It was the end of 1937 when it would come out. And, uh, you know, he had announced it in June of 1934. So clearly, you know, it took nearly three years uh, so almost twice as long as what he expected and more, well, more than twice as as much money. Yeah, well, it didn't get off to a running start because it took them a couple months to even begin production. Yeah. They, they knew what story they were going to tackle, mm-hmm. but that was it, right? They knew that they were going to do Snow White and the Seven Dwarfs. But it's a long haul to go from this is what our first feature animated film is going to be to... Let's actually talk about what it takes to get started with story, character design, uh, you know, all that kind of stuff. Yeah, and and some people might say the reason why it took so long to get the production starting is because they were getting all of their groundwork in place, working on things like special effects and a multiplane camera to get more depth in their animation Mm -hmm. and really trying to up their animation game for when they started producing. Yeah, one of the things they tried to do, they would end up abandoning this eventually, but they thought, let's specialize our animators in different fields. So some people will work specifically in character work. Uh, some will work in effects. Uh, some people will uh, end up building specific gags that we can mm-hmm. build the cartoon around because that's kind of how they went with their shorts, right? They would think, what are some beats we can tell in the story? What are some gags we can do to kind of carry the story along? And initially, that's how they were looking at Snow White as well. They also wanted to make sure that the characters they had moved in a way that was compelling and realistic. So that mm-hmm. would require not just new animation techniques, but essentially it's kind of like going back to school. They had yeah. The animators needed to do some study to to actually learn how to do that. And, and Disney wasn't initially worried about this slow start because he figured all of their merchandising and their shorts, which they were still producing, would bring in the money they needed during production. While the shorts were not, the profit margin had decreased. So the shorts were still bringing in money. It's just they were also more expensive to produce. But Disney figured, well, we've got a steady source of revenue. So at least that will keep us going while we dedicate our resources towards creating this feature-length film. Yes, and so when they finally started production, they had some story men that were brainstorming how they wanted the movie to go and some gags. And at this time, Disney was worried about putting drama into a cartoon movie. The shorts were all focused on comedy to some extent. Uh, Even the more 
kind of artsy, silly symphonies cartoons that Disney created had comedic gags in them. Yeah. And the question was, in Disney's mind, can we do an animated film that has, you know, elements of drama where we can actually try and create tension, dramatic tension in a cartoon, or will audiences reject that? He didn't know. Yeah, but obviously, if you've seen Snow White and the Seven Dwarves, they do put drama in there. They put a lot of tension in there. There are moments that are outright scary. But some of the initial ideas for the movie, I would wager to say if they had stuck with them, this would have been the brink and the end of Disney, potentially, because they were not good. Yeah, well, so— It starts off where they had 21 pages of random suggestions and ideas that was nowhere near a narrative. There was no story. There was no outline. Yeah. uh, The outline wouldn't come out uh, until October of 1934, and that was an 18-page outline, and it had— Lots of these suggestions from that 21 pages earlier, not all of them, but it incorporated some of them. Some of those would make their way all the way through the process to the final film. So, for example, they said there should be some sort of song or element of Someday My Prince Will Come, which, in fact, did survive all the way through to the end. Um, They also decided that this was a lesson that Disney had learned in producing animated shorts that the dwarves should each have distinct personalities. They shouldn't just be a unit of characters, which is how they had traditionally been presented with no discernible difference between them. That was really smart. Audiences need to connect. Mm -hmm. They they need to become emotionally invested in their characters. They also decided to have the queen try to kill Snow White in multiple ways, which is true to the Grim Fairy Tale. Disney is not often 100% true to the fairy tales. No, in fact— I don't think there is a Disney cartoon that accurately retells a traditional version of the fairy tale. But yeah, if you've read Grimm's fairy tales, you know that there's a poison comb mm-hmm. in one in the version. And so they were thinking about using this as well, like having uh, multiple uh, attempts on Snow White's life. So you have like the huntsman that the mm-hmm. queen sends after Snow White who, through tenderness of his heart, lets her escape. That made it to the movie. They wanted to skip that yeah. in the beginning. Yeah. They, they, they were like, let's have the queen try and kill her a whole bunch of different ways, but let's let's skip the whole huntsman no, part. No setup. We don't yeah. need setup. They also did a lot of brainstorming around those dwarves. Like, they had decided they wanted them each to have their own personality. And ultimately, they were talking about having these very simple names, which— again, made it all the way through the movie, Mm -hmm. to kind of give you a feeling for each dwarf's defining character trait. Sleepy, bashful, doc. Yeah, but uh, there were some that um, (laughs) didn't make it, like Hoppy Jumpy. And uh, Sneezy Wheezy is my favorite. Yep, but there was uh, uh, was also Awful, (laughs) who I I guess probably uh, was such a pill to work with that they must have gotten Fired from the production. Duffy, which is... uh, More than a little problematic. Yes, and Seventh, because I think by that time they just gave up. Yeah. Seventh, Uh, (laughs) seventh isn't it Seventh the one that would eventually become Dopey and not Duffy? I think so. Yeah. I think so. Uh, They also wanted the queen to be comedic, so not this beautiful, malicious, evil woman, but silly and dumpy and... It kind of defeats the purpose of Mirror, Mirror on the Wall, who's the fairest of them all. Yeah, it it makes me think that—so there are Disney villains that kind of fit that description, who are at least partly comedic. 
Um, like Captain Hook is a pretty comedic villain. You know, he's he's vicious, but he's also very silly. Yes. Ursula from Little Mermaid has elements of that in her, although she truly turns vicious. Yeah. Scar as well had a couple of silly things about him, but he's also very vicious. But you could see more of the comedic elements in those later Disney villains. I don't know how it would have worked with Snow White, and ultimately, well, neither did they. Even in Cinderella, the stepsisters were a little comedic. Yeah, but comedic. Tremaine, the mother, she is totally not comedic. Yeah. Uh, she's just scary. Yeah, they wanted the prince to watch Dancing Skeletons during the movie. Yeah, there would just be a bit where he's like in a dungeon, like, you know, the old chain to the wall thing and have Dancing Skeletons. And I am deeply saddened that that didn't make it to the final cut. It would have been fun and funny, but I feel like it would have been out of place. Yeah, also, I don't know how he would have gotten out, but that's not the— Probably Gus would come in there or something. Yes. That's that's actually from Cinderella, though, not from Snow White, Gus, so Gus. I don't know how that works. Yeah, crossovers, <laughs> fan fiction. It's just, it's just fan fiction, Jonathan. Right. However, this was not the main problem that the film faced. Yeah, the, the, the surplus of ideas, many of which would be abandoned, really wouldn't be the issue. And we'll explain what the real problems were in just a second. But first, let's take a quick break. AI might be the most important new computer technology ever. It's storming every industry and literally billions of dollars are being invested. So buckle up. The problem is that AI needs a lot of speed and processing power. So how do you compete without costs spiraling out of control? It's time to upgrade to the next generation of the cloud. Oracle Cloud Infrastructure, or OCI. OCI is a single platform for your infrastructure, database, application development, and AI needs. OCI has four to eight times the bandwidth of other clouds, offers one consistent price instead of variable regional pricing, and of course, nobody does data better than Oracle. So now you can train your AI models at twice the speed and less than half the cost of other clouds. If you want to do more and spend less like Uber, 8x8, and Databricks Mosaic, take a free test drive of OCI at oracle.com slash strategic. That's oracle.com slash strategic. oracle.com slash strategic. The Home Depot wants every mom to have their own outdoor oasis this Mother's Day. Whether that be a new space to relax or a beautiful garden upgrade, at The Home Depot, you can give mom a gift that's as unique as she is with a stylish and comfortable place to entertain or relax for the mom who does it all. And with convenient delivery, you won't have to stress over getting it to her either. Looking to step up your Mother's Day flowers for the mom who's great with gardening? Let mom's green thumb do some digging with colorful flowers, pots, and premium soils to Bring out the most in our patios, walkways, and gardens with the Home Depot's Mother's Day Savings Event happening now. Get Vigoro Potting Soil, just $8.97 for strong, healthy, vibrant plants indoors and outside. Start your Mother's Day shopping and saving today by checking out the Home Depot's extensive selection online at homedepot.com or directly in-store near you with convenient pickup and delivery options. See homedepot.com slash delivery for details. The Home Depot, how doers get more done. Like many of us, you might think identity theft will never happen to you. But consider this. There's a new identity theft victim every three seconds in the U.S. That's over 15 million people by the end of this year, equal to the populations of New York, Los Angeles, and Chicago combined. Even worse, identity theft victims often don't even know they're victims. That's why LifeLock Identity Theft Protection alerts you to identity threats 
even the ones that don't show up on a credit report, like data breaches, fraudulent bank transactions, loan and credit card applications, and crimes committed in your name. If your identity is stolen, your own dedicated LifeLock U.S.-based restoration specialist will work to fix it. LifeLock protects you in ways that you simply can't on your own. Join now and save up to 25% your first year at lifelock.com slash iHeart. That's lifelock.com slash iHeart to save up to 25%. Identity theft protection starts here. Okay, so we've got Disney, you guys animators on board. Other people in the industry are dismissing this out of hand, saying this is going to bankrupt the company. Mm -hmm. Disney doesn't know what he's doing. There's no market for feature-length animated films. No one's going to sit through such a thing, even if they ever make it happen, which they probably won't. Meanwhile, things internally are also in a bit of a turmoil. By the end of the year, progress was really slowing down. So it took them a long time to start production. And then just a couple months later, it was really kind of halting. Yeah, just it, it kind of was in a holding pattern. So there aren't a whole lot of records about the entire process. We know about the August brainstorm. We know about the October outline. And then in December of 1934, there's a dictaphone recording that was the next recorded evidence of anyone doing any work on Snow White at all. But a large part of this was because Disney's attention was divided. Yeah, he wanted to make a personal short about King Midas. It didn't do well. Yeah, this this was a, a big blow to Walt Disney's ego, I would say. He tried to get too artsy, I think. He didn't focus on the things that had made his previous shorts successful. Yeah, people said that unlike some of the earlier Disney shorts, you didn't really get a sense of personality out of the characters, and that had been a hallmark of Disney's work. Mm -hmm. So King Midas failed to have an impact with audiences. Which, of course, if he takes this break to do a short that isn't making money, he's also costing this big production money. Yeah. He and his wife took a vacation to Europe in the spring of summer of 1935. And finally, after that, they get the ball rolling again. Yeah, apparently that trip really reinvigorated Walt Disney. He got a lot of inspiration on that trip. He felt more confident about this idea of the feature-length animated film, and he returned with a determination to really get things moving. Yes, by October of 35, they had early animation passes. Now, mind you, it's taking them a half a year to get these really important steps out. By November, they're laying concrete character groundwork, so they're finally deciding and sticking with their character choices. Yeah, so this is more than a year after, like, November of 1935. So it's more than a year that after they've announced it, and they're finally settling on character design and personality. Yes, and their animators are focusing on sequences instead of one per each character, which is new. Yeah, instead of saying, all right, you are in charge of Dopey, you will be animating Dopey. Instead, it would be, you will be animating this sequence with all of these characters. Um, and then the next animator, all right, you're going to take those same characters, but you're animating the next sequence. Uh, this would make it absolutely imperative to establish firm character models that everyone mm -hmm. could replicate. And then they also hired a lot more artists and animators to work on the film because it's quite an undertaking. So that meant they had to give these artists and animators animation classes, which took time. Yep. They also uh, hired on Grim Natwick, who would become 
the head uh, of the team that would animate Snow White herself. Uh, Natwick had previously cut his teeth on a different famous animated lady. Betty Boop. Yep. Uh, He had also worked for someone else connected to Walt Disney's past. Betty Boop. No, Ub Iwerks. (laughs) So if you listened to our last episode, you know how Ub Iwerks played a very important role in the early Disney history, but he and Walt had a falling out, which led to Ub founding his own competing animation studio. And Natwick had worked for Iwerks, but then got hired away to work for Walt Disney. I guess Ub didn't have non-compete clauses in his employee agreements. Yeah, well— they they had both been burned by such things before. Yeah. And so one of the the techniques they began to use in order to improve animation to make it more realistic and more lifelike was to use a process called rotoscoping. And in rotoscoping, what you do is you film a subject, a live subject, and then you take that film and you use the film to be a guide, you know, uh, frame by frame to animate a character. So... You're essentially tracing a character on top of an actual live subject, and then you take the, the the film part away. So all you have left are the drawings you've done, and you have a drawing that moves very much like a, a person, and their clothes move the way the cloth moves in real life, etc. So there are a lot of you can actually find footage of this on YouTube of test footage where different people are moving around in various ways. Uh, and it was all meant as a guide for the animators. Yeah. They they kind of kept that quiet for a while. But all of these advancements, all of these things that they were doing to really try to make the best movie possible once they finally settled, set the, on, it. settled on it, yeah. it was costing money. And it was costing way, way more money than Walt had. Yeah, it was that $250,000 estimate turned out to be way short of the mark. And it became clear that the final budget was going to be north of a million dollars, nearly a million and a half. And the company just didn't have the cash to fund that much. There was a real danger yeah. that the if they were to continue making the movie, they were going to bankrupt themselves. And if they didn't make the movie, they would have committed all of that time and effort to a lost cause, and, and they'd and have to make that up. And money they wouldn't recoup. Yeah. So we had mentioned at the very opening that Walt stood in danger of losing his house. That's not a joke. He actually had taken out a, an extra mortgage on his home. And it was not enough. <laughs> yeah. That was really an effort to try and funnel more money into this budget. So Roy, Walt's brother, the business-minded guy, he, he came up with a solution that Walt was initially reluctant to pursue. Yeah, he said, we're going to meet with this Bank of American banker, brother of mine, and you're going to show him what you got so far, and you're going to convince him to give you the money you need. Yeah, this was not something Walt Disney wanted to do. One, he didn't want to show anyone unfinished work. Mm-hmm. That was not really in his in his uh, mind a good idea. And this would be a feature film that would have sections that would have pencil tests, so it's not filled in, and even sections that didn't have any animation at all, but that just had the audio track or, and maybe a, a, just a still illustration for that section. Or, or Walt saying, here's what I'm thinking about for this part. Yeah, so it it was a real mishmash. It seemed like it was going to be the longest of long shots. It would all come down to Walt Disney's passion for the project and his ability to convince someone else 
that this was worthy of supporting and that it would be commercially successful. So what happens? Well, he convinced the banker. I mean, if you think about it, he convinced all of his animation guys to get on board. So that's, what, nine? Nine old men. Nine angry men. But then he wasn't able to convince his wife or his brother for the longest time, so. Yeah, but a banker is just one person, and he did, and the banker called up the bank and said, give him the money. Yeah, according to the story, the way the story is typically told is that Walt finishes the pitch, and the theater is still dark, and the banker silently just gets up out of his seat and walks out of the room, and there's every indication that it was a total failure. But then the banker just walks to the nearest phone, calls the head office, and says, give him the money. I have no idea if that's how it really unfolded, but holy cow, what a dramatic story if that's true. Yeah, So the movie finished getting made. It premiered in December of 1937 Mm -hmm. at the Cathay Circle Theater in Los Angeles. There were lots of celebrities there. And by the end of the movie, everybody was laughing, crying. There was a standing ovation. And Walt was featured on Time Magazine. So all of that hard work, all of that drama and turmoil, it paid out. Yeah, it turned out that... uh like all these celebrities who were showing up ended up being truly impressed by it. Like clearly this was going to be an event and mm-hmm. you wanted to be seen at it. But people, like even the celebrities leaving were were gobsmacked at how well the movie worked. So there wasn't a plan to release nationwide or anything. Mm-hmm. It, it actually was a pretty slow rollout. Uh, the initial agreement was with two theaters, uh, one that was in Miami and then there was another little tiny venue that the, agreed to do it. The Radio City Music Hall, is that what it's called? Yeah, I I, I, I passed it <laughs> about three weeks ago. And they made a lot of money. Not as much as they would. Uh, yeah, ultimately they would end up making a huge amount of money. But initially in that first year of release, they made a decent chunk of change. So they did have a general release. And this is when they would make their big, big bucks on Snow White. And the general release was February 4th, 1938. And within a year, they had made over $8.5 million. Yeah. So on a budget of $1.4 million, that was proof that it was uh, a big success. But um, the movie would continue to play on and off for many, many years. So while that $8.5 million was how much it made in its in its first year after being uh, released, essentially, to general release, it would ultimately come in at like $184 million, uh, almost $185 million, and ended up taking the number one box office hit from a totally different movie with a very different message. Yeah, Birth of a Nation. Yeah, which is a very... Very different movie. Also, uh, Disney, as it turns out, today owns like all of the most high-performing movies in in cinematic history. Star Wars A New Hope, which is, I guess, now the third most profitable in history because Endgame has now— Well, Endgame had the highest opening opening weekend weekend. at more than a billion dollars opening weekend. What? Most ever, like in history of all the movies ever made. So I suspect it will become the most profitable. Yeah. That's, that's just my estimation. They'd probably take the title away from Avatar, I think, is is number one still. But, but, but going back, Snow White won a bunch of awards. Yeah. So part of the issue was that there was no way to really consider an animated film for 
an uh, an Oscar at the time. Mm-hmm. And so in 1939, rather than put Snow White up against other features for Best Picture, the Academy decided to award Disney a special Oscar. And if you've ever seen pictures of this, this is the famous special Oscar that has one regular-sized statue and seven small statues. And it was presented to him by Shirley Temple. And specifically, it was an award for a, quote, significant screen innovation which has charmed millions and pioneered a great new entertainment field for the motion picture cartoon, end quote. Um, I should also mention, you briefly referred to the multi-plane camera mm-hmm. earlier as one of the big innovations, which is super cool. We're not going to go into how it works, but it was a way to kind of um, uh, simulate depth in an animated cartoon. Interesting side fact we both know who invented the multi-plane camera and uh, who invented the first version of that. And while Disney Company laid claim to it, the person who really pioneered that technology was... A Bioworks. Yeah, Disney's old animating partner who had um, had the falling out with him. Yes. Well, we'll get to that in a second. Yeah. Because it's not as bad as it seems. In 1940, Disney issued 155,000 shares of convertible stock for $35 million. Yep. And this would put the company on the brink of monumental success. So they had been facing almost certain extinction through this process, Mm -hmm. but the long bet had paid off. It would not be clear skies forever for Disney. When we come back, we'll talk about some of the other challenges they faced in a post-Snow White world. The Home Depot wants every mom to have their own outdoor oasis this Mother's Day. Whether that be a new space to relax or a beautiful garden upgrade, at The Home Depot, you could give mom a gift that's as unique as she is with a stylish and comfortable place to entertain or relax for the mom who does it all. And with convenient delivery, you won't have to stress over getting it to her either. Looking to step up your Mother's Day flowers for the mom who's great with gardening? Let mom's green thumb do some digging with colorful flowers, pots, and premium soils to Bring out the most in our patios, walkways, and gardens with the Home Depot's Mother's Day Savings Event happening now. Get Vigoro Potting Soil, just $8.97 for strong, healthy, vibrant plants indoors and outside. Start your Mother's Day shopping and saving today by checking out the Home Depot's extensive selection online at homedepot.com or directly in-store near you with convenient pickup and delivery options. See homedepot.com delivery for details. The Home Depot, how doers get more done. Had enough of those supplements that leave you feeling nothing? Symbionica is your solution to great-tasting, all-natural supplements that actually work. Crafted with premium plant-based ingredients, their products have no seed oils, fillers, or toxins. Try them out and actually feel the difference today. Visit Symbiotica.com and use code IHEART for 15% off plus free shipping on your subscription order. Again, that's 15% off plus free shipping on your subscription order. Go to Symbiotica.com. C-Y-M-B-I-O. TIKA.com. You deserve a moment to yourself every single day. And a delicious bite of a Keebler Sandies can give you that comforting pause. <sighs> give yourself a delicious escape from the afternoon with the melt in your mouth magic of a Keebler Sandies. This magic is baked into simple shortbread cookies by Ernie and the Keebler Elves. So as life continues to fly by, make the most of your me moment. Take a pause and enjoy a Keebler Sandies. 
Okay, so Disney decided this feature film was a success. Let's make more of them. Yeah. That's a good idea. And he made a lot of great animated movies. I would have thought that he would have learned a little bit more just from making all of his shorts that maybe that's not the only way to to replicate success. Yeah. Yeah, yeah well, he had already he had already run into that with uh, you know, Three Little Pigs was a big hit, and then trying to uh, kind of replicate that was a was a bit of a challenge and and not really successful. And mm-hmm. now he was trying to do the th- same thing with Snow White. He was also encountering issues with intellectual property. He had yeah. interest in working with a couple of different stories, but it meant, you know, getting agreements for that. Uh, one of them was Bambi, and one of them was Pinocchio. Mm-hmm. And... In the case of Bambi, it took some convincing because the the author, uh, Sigmund Salzman, uh, who was using the pen name Felix Sultan, was concerned that Disney might make changes to the story. Which that he, he totally would. Yeah. yeah well, and this is not the only time. I mean, if you've, if you've ever read about uh, Mary Poppins, you know the, about the famous – problems he faced while trying to bring that to the screen because of concerns about changes, yeah. which he totally did do. And I, I, I know I sound like I'm throwing major shade here. There are certainly stories like Pinocchio where I think that Disney improved it yeah. with the changes because in the original story of Pinocchio, he kills Jiminy Cricket. Yeah. The main character in the story is not terribly sympathetic. Mm-hmm. And so in order to create a character that would have more of a, um, a a doorway to the hearts of audiences, there were going to need to be changes. Uh, they also decided to really experiment with the feature-length animated format by doing something very ambitious that Disney believed in but had a lot of trouble finding an audience, at least at the time. It has since gone on to uh, a pretty successful um Run both in yeah. home theater and in re-release, and that was Fantasia, which not only was innovative but would require movie theaters to upgrade their sound systems to be able to show it properly, which meant that Disney was essentially demanding that the theaters that showed his films spend a huge amount of money for the privilege to continue to do so, which they did. Sadly, Fantasia, as you said, didn't do well for quite a while. I will admit I never saw the second Fantasia when it came out because it came out so many years after the first one. Oh, I saw it. It was cute. It was cute? It was very cute. Oh, yeah, good. no, I recommend checking it out. Yeah, Fantasia 2 is cute. It's, uh, uh, I don't know that there's any piece in Fantasia 2 that was as great as some of the ones in the first film. But um, yeah, it's cute. That's Pomp good. and Circumstance is very cute with Donald Duck. I will definitely check it out. Now, the problem is, He's got these stories, and he's making these full-length animated films, and they just didn't do well either because the story didn't grip people. Bambi, I mean, so sad. Yeah. So sad. Or because of something little like World War II. Yeah, Um, yeah, that obviously had a huge impact on production. It had a huge impact on your audiences. Um, the Great Depression also was right around this time. Like the Great De- World War II would effectively bring an end to the Great Depression, but that was another thing that was impacting the industry in general. And it would and, actually make them stop doing animated films for a good while. Yeah, it was just it was so expensive an endeavor that the company was kind of forced 
to look elsewhere for other methods of creating entertainment in order to stay around. In fact, uh, the next animated, full-length animated film wouldn't be Cinderella, which would come out in 1950. So for the 40s, Disney really needed to look at other stuff. One of the ideas the company had, however, would end up becoming a valuable strategy for the company in years to follow, which was, hey, you know what? Kids grow up. And then people have more kids, but those kids didn't get the chance to see Snow White and the Seven Dwarfs in the theater. And this is before there was ever any kind of home theater market. Yeah, no Roku's or Amazon Prime. Or VCRs or reel-to-reel film projectors for the home or anything like that. So the thought was, how about every few years, let's say seven, yeah, we re-release our classic films to theaters because we've already done all the work, right? We we will have to pay for marketing and publicity, mm-hmm. but we've already done all the animation. All that's done. We can capitalize on this and show it to a new generation of kids. Yeah. And they're only now looking at getting rid of that business model. Yeah, the whole vault idea. Yeah. And we're going to talk about that in just a second. But one last little note before we talk before we talk about getting rid of the vault, because it served them well for years and years and years and years and years. Yeah, into the home video market as well. Like yeah. The whole idea of you got you to gotta scoop this movie up now because pretty soon we're going to put it back in the vault and it'll be years before it's available again. Yeah, I think it's May of 2019 when we're recording this and I went to a big box store the other day and I think I saw Little Mermaid Yeah. In, out of the vault. And I was like, aw, what yeah. if it'll be the last one? But in 1940, Ub Iwerks also made amends with Disney. He returned to the studio and brought with him a lot of innovations, the xerography process, live action with animation for things like Mary Poppins. And he helped with planning the Disney theme parks, which we said we aren't going to talk about in this episode. Yeah, because that would merit an episode all by itself. As it turns out, Disneyland would be yet another monumental project. Really, I think we could probably do Disneyland and uh, Epcot Mm-hmm. You could do Disney World as well, although at that point, the company had already the experience of of building a, an amusement park, a themed amusement park. Uh, but Epcot really would push the company again. But those are big enough to merit their own episodes much further in the future after we've covered other companies because we don't want to make this the Disney Brink podcast. Yes. But getting back to that that tease you had about the vault, I assume what you are referring to is the upcoming Disney streaming service that's going to be out by the end of the year. Yes. So Disney announced the streaming service. They're making a whole bunch of new content, Marvel and Star Wars and cartoons and things like that for it. It's going to be pretty cheap. They've pull, they're going to be pulling all of their content from other streaming services like Netflix. Yeah. Although I will wager you can probably still buy Mary Poppins on Amazon Prime if you want. Yeah. Oh, no, you'll be able to buy movies, I'm sure, for digital streaming because that's a that's a different model, right? That's purchase as mm-hmm. opposed to a streaming service. But yes, this will differentiate Disney from the others because it'll have all the proprietary content on yes. there. This is also, I mean, not that the company ever, I think, outwardly said this, but this is essentially why they stopped with all their Marvel themed uh, Netflix shows, things like Daredevil, Jessica Jones. And a bunch of people are hoping they'll come back on the streaming service. But the question is whether or not, if they do come back, if they'll come back in the same form, if they'll be totally recast, if it'll be a complete reimagining. We don't have the answers to that. Yeah, but they did say that they were going to make all of their content available. 
all of it. So everything that was in the vault, it's getting rid of the vault as long as you have their streaming service. I guess what I wonder is if they're still going to continue to use the vault for hard copy purchases since that's slowly waning in sales. It would surprise me only because, as you say, the market now is is really geared toward on-demand streaming and less toward owning your own copy of something. And I wonder, I have an issue with streaming services. There are too many of them. Yeah, so it no, it's, it's very getting, expensive. Yeah, it's getting to the point where, you know, people originally were thinking, oh, I can cut my cable because I can just subscribe to Amazon Prime or mm-hmm. Hulu or Netflix. And then it gets to the point where you say, well, I like Netflix, but I also like this one series and Netflix won't cover it, but Amazon does. So I guess I'll get an Amazon Prime membership too. There's other benefits there. Then you might say, oh, there's this Hulu series I really want to see. So I guess I'll subscribe to that. And then eventually you start doing the math and you think, wow, I'm spending at least as much as I was on cable. And if it's if it's a show that is airing on television, usually you're watching it like a season behind. Mm-hmm. So there's been a little bit of backlash against that. And the question is, have we reached saturation of that? Yeah, will they get enough people? And, and I suspect they will because Disney is largely successful in most of their endeavors mm-hmm. to make up for the demand that they get when they release an old classic into a new market. Now, what I wonder is, will this streaming service that supposedly will have all Disney content on it, will it have Song of the South on there? You know, Whoopi Goldberg was recently pushing for that to be re-released. Interesting. Yeah. I have a DVD copy of that, but that is a movie that's got its own issues. Uh, It was made in a different time. Yes. But yeah, it'll be fascinating to see where Disney goes from there. And as I said, in future episodes, further, further down the line, we'll probably revisit the Disney company, talk about some of the other things that have happened, because not all of them are good stories. I mean, there's, there's some rough stories about even the... U.S. amusement parks and how there were stretches of years where uh, the management in charge of that was largely from the retail world, and they dramatically changed the way those parks operated. But that's for a totally different episode. In the meantime, if you guys have suggestions for topics that we should cover on the brink, you can send us an email. What's that email address, Ariel? It's feedback at thebrinkpodcast.show. And if you want to check out our archive of episodes or learn a little bit more about us, you can visit our website. That's thebrinkpodcast.show. And until next time, I'm Jonathan Strickland. And I'm Ariel Kasten. The Brink is a production of iHeartRadio and How Stuff Works. For more podcasts from iHeartRadio, visit the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you listen to your favorite shows. Open a limited-time 11-month certificate at Kemba Financial Credit Union. At 5.25% APY, it's more than triple the national average, plus it's a safe and secure way to grow your money. Visit your local branch or kemba.org slash cd for details. Offer expires May 31st, 2024. APY equals annual percentage yield. Restrictions apply. $500 minimum and $250,000 maximum deposit. Advantage status required. Comparison based on bank rate average. Federally insured by NCUA. This is Malcolm Gladwell from Revisionist History. eBay Motors is here for the ride. With some elbow grease, 
fresh installs, and a whole lot of love, you transformed 100,000 miles and a body full of rust into a drive that's all your own. Brake kits, LED headlights, whatever you need, eBay Motors has it. And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, it's guaranteed to fit your ride the first time, every time, or your money back. Plus, at these prices, you're burning rubber, not cash. Keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only. Exclusions apply. We went from normal life, healthy child to acute lymphoblastic leukemia or B-cell, ALL. The St. Jude team came up to get CJ via ambulance. Shortly after that, I noticed a rainbow. It meant that there was hope. We were driving into hope. To have hope is to have your child healthy, and we have that because of St. Jude. You can help kids fight childhood cancer. Please become a St. Jude Partner in Hope today by visiting musicgives.org.